Well, good morning, everyone. I'm so glad that you're joining with us here as we continue on to really be exploring together the life of Jesus just up before he uh, is died and he's buried and then obviously rises again on Easter. And so we've been taking a look at the life of Jesus and the week before his death. We've already seen how Jesus rise into Jerusalem on the Sunday. We've seen how he overturns tables on the Monday. We've seen how he is really teaching on the Tuesday. And then last week, as Marty shared so well, we see how Jesus is anointed actually on the Wednesday. And so today we want to take a look at what happens uh, in Jesus' life on the Thursday. We're going to see him actually uh, washing the disciples' feet. So that's what we want to explore here together. So if you have your Bibles, open them up uh, to John 14 here together. And we want to explore this passage just briefly before we take communion here together. Now, while you're looking up in your Bibles, just a few quick kind of notes on John in general. That John is a very different writer than each of the other three gospel writers. That if, for example, you were to go and read like Mark and then John, even in English, you would figure out that they have really different kind of styles. John is a really stylistic writer. He is really highly symbolic. He wants each of the uh, nuances in his narrative really to be read into. They all mean something. There's no random details. So as we kind of work through this, let's just remember that John is telling a highly stylized narrative and that that really matters for our interpretation. So I want to read our passage for today and then I want to work through a few different things uh, here this morning before we take communion together. So first I want to just read what happens on the Thursday before Jesus' death and crucifixion on the Friday. Read this, before the Passover celebration, right? That's alerting to us when this was happening in in history. It says this, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave the world and to return to his father. And he had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth. And now he loved them to the very end. Or as other translations put it, and I actually like this translation better. It says that he is now going to show them the full extent of his love. That that's what this next passage or moment is about. It says this, it was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of uh, Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. And Jesus knew that the Father had given him complete authority over everything, and that he had come from the Father and would return to God. So he got up from the table, he took off his robe, he wrapped a towel around his waist, and he poured water into a basin. And then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around them. And when he came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet as well? And Jesus replied, no, um, you don't understand now what I'm going to do, but someday you will. No, Peter protested. He said, you will never, ever wash my feet. Peter often in the Gospels is quite full of bravado and bluster, and he often jumps right in. And that's kind of what we see here too, him actually just kind of jumping in with his own thoughts. But Jesus then says this to him. He says, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. Simon Peter then exclaimed, then wash my hands and my head as well. Lord, not just my feet. But Jesus replied, a person who has bathed all over does not need to wash except for the feet to be entirely clean. And you disciples are clean, but not all of you. For Jesus knew who would betray him. And that is what he meant when he said, not all of you are clean. There he's talking about Judas, right? And after washing his feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet as well. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth. Slaves are not greater than their master, nor is a messenger more important than the one who sends a message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. This is a passage we want to take a look at today. And there's lots of different details and things that are going on. So we want to kind of explain it a little bit and take a look at what this might mean for us here personally today. 
The first thing that we notice is that this entire, can we maybe say episode or moment or story, this is really all set in the context of Jesus's lordship, his authority, and his kingship. I want to say that again, that this is entirely all set in Jesus's authority, lordship, and kingship. Because what do we read at the very beginning? It says it was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted, Jesus, uh, prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. And then it says this, Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything, and that he had come from God and would return to God. This is John's way of showing to us that Jesus is in full authority, that he's in full control, that he knows exactly what is going on, that even Judas's betrayal does not actually surprise Jesus. He knows what's happening. And so this really whole story is set in that context of Jesus's authority and his kingship and his lordship, that Jesus, knowing he is fully God, knowing he is fully in control, the text then tells us he then decides to show the disciples his full extent of his love. It's then that he decides to really show what this means practically and personally for them. And Jesus does something that's quite unexpected, something that would be so shocking in that day and age, something that is so surprising. The text says that he bends down to wash his disciples' feet. So so he got up from the table. He took off his robe and he wrapped a towel around his waist and poured water into a basin. And then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. I think that this passage raises an obvious question. What does this mean? Like, what is Jesus doing here? What is this symbolically about, right? So I want to explore that a little bit with us here today. I think right off the bat, many of us could probably guess what some of this means. That when Jesus actually bends down, when he kneels, and when he actually washes the disciples' feet, that this really is an act of humility. I don't think you need to be a biblical scholar to realize that doing this act actually would have been uh, the act for a servant or a slave or really the person on the lowest social order. That in Jesus' day and age, there was a really strong social hierarchy. There was almost just a system to all of this. And that it was always the person who is lowest in the social order who would take this role. Most often a servant or a slave. Remember, even as Martin reminded us back uh, last week, that the roads are dusty and uh, really dirty. And so for someone to actually wash another person's feet, this was the lowest position you could take. And so for Jesus to do this, for him to kneel down, for him really knowing that he is fully in control, knowing that he has authority over everything, knowing that he is God, for him to take this next step in this next role, it's quite an act of humility. And I think that's what we should name and see, is that Jesus is truly a humble king, right? That's what's going on in this moment. And that really here, Jesus, what he is doing is knowing all of his power, position, and privilege. What does Jesus do? He sets it aside, actually, right? Because you can be humble and hold on to it, but that is not what Jesus is doing. Actually, what Jesus is doing is a little bit more provocative than that. Jesus, showing the full extent of his love and his humility, what he does is he takes his power, position, and he privilege, and he sets it aside for the disciples. That's what's going on here. This moment, because such a big moment in the life of Jesus and who he is, that the early church actually sang a hymn about him and this moment as well. We can read about it in Philippians 2 that emphasizes just Jesus's humility and his willingness to give up divine privilege, his willingness to give up position, his willingness to actually take on that position of a slave or a servant. We read this in Philippians 2. It says, speaking about Jesus, though he was God, He did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges and he took the humble position of a slave. That's really kind of what's going on here in this moment, right? That Jesus um, is taking the position of a slave. What a slave would normally do, he bends down and washes the disciples' feet. This is why, this is why there is such a strong reaction from Peter, 
right? Peter has always had strong reactions throughout the Gospels. All of his reactions are always strong no matter what. But this is why when Jesus comes to Peter, Peter exclaims and says, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I'm doing, but someday you will. But Peter protested, no, you will never, ever wash my feet. Because Peter knows that this is usually the position of a slave or a servant. And so Peter reacts and says, no. But then Jesus says something that's honestly a little bit puzzling. He says this, but unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. That unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. Which I think then raises the obvious question of what does washing the feet really mean? We get probably that this is an act of humility, that this is an act of service, that this is an act of setting aside your power, position, and privilege. We can understand that. But then what does it really mean for, some, for Jesus to wash somebody's feet? Because he says, unless I wash your feet, you won't belong to me. Well, I think to understand this, what we need to do is we need to move a little bit outside of our modern Western day eyes. I think when it comes to passages like this, or actually all passages, we read through modern Western lenses. And sometimes we don't realize how much that actually affects us or shapes us or changes us. And I think with this passage, we do that as well. Because in the West, especially today with COVID, when we think of like cleaning something, when we think of cleansing, when we think of washing, I think what we think of right away is like sanitation, right? Is like hygiene, is like sterile and germs and all of that sort of thing. That right now in our consciousness, what I would like to suggest to you is we have a high awareness of whether something is clean and sanitary and safe. You know, there are cleaning protocols right now for everything, right? And I think for us in the West, when we think of cleaning something, we think really primarily of hygiene, sanitation, germs, all of that sort of thing. Like, I don't know about you, but I have never thought before about how many times somebody might touch the debit machine at a Tim Hortons before COVID. I've never occurred to me. But right now, this is really um, like in our consciousness. But I want to be really clear with something, that our modern day Western idea of hygiene and cleanliness and sanitation and making sure that things are disinfected and clean, this is a modern day way of seeing things. That the ancient day of hygiene was quite different than ours. Because you might not know this, but it took us, uh, it was only 150 years ago that we actually realized that washing your hands actually stops the spread of germs. It was only 150 years ago that this happened when a doctor realized it wasn't a good idea to go doing autopsies to delivering babies. That's when we started to realize this. So our modern day conceptions of sanitation and hygiene and cleanliness, they are actually just that, modern day conceptions. And so I think when it comes to this passage, we can't be reading that view of cleanliness into it. That instead, instead, when Jesus here is cleansing the feet, this has really less to do with hygiene and more to do with holiness. Okay, I want to say that again. That here when Jesus is cleaning the feet, this has less to do with someone's hygiene and like a bath and cleanliness. It has more to do with holiness. Because in the Old Testament, in the ancient day view of things, here's what I want us to understand. That cleanliness, for something to be clean, this was not a comment on whether it was sanitary. This was a comment on whether it was fit to be used. Okay? That for something to be clean means that it is fit to be used. I want to show you this um, from the Old Testament in the book of Leviticus. That when God declares something as clean, what he's declaring it as is that this is okay to be used. So, for example, um, God declares that, like, lobster is unclean, that Jewish people can't eat lobster. This has nothing to do on the cleanliness of a lobster. This has to do that a lobster is not fit for food. Let me read to you a few passages that might kind of show this a little bit more. Reading this in Leviticus 11. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, give the following instructions to the people of Israel. Of all the land animals, these are the ones you may use for food. That that's what cleanliness meant. Right? That you can use it, that it's fit for consumption, that it's fit for a use or a purpose. And God continues and says, you may eat any of the animals that has completely split hooves and chews its cud. You may not, however, eat any of the following animals that have split hooves or chew the cud, but not both. Um, the camel chews the cud and does not have split hooves, so it is ceremonially 
unclean for you. Okay? It's ceremonially unclean for you. And I know in many ways this passage, it sounds odd to us, but what I want us to understand is that when God declares something ceremonially unclean, it doesn't mean it's unhygienic. It means it's not fit for use. That's what's going on here. We read it a little bit clearer in even Leviticus 10.10. God says, you must distinguish between what is sacred and what is common. Right? Sacred meaning that has a purpose. Right? Or you must also distinguish between what is ceremonially unclean and what is clean. So what I want us to get here, and although we don't have time to get into the ancient view of purity and cleanliness, is just to understand that our modern day obsession with whether something is disinfected and clean and all that sort of stuff is not how people saw things back then. That for something to be declared clean meant that it was fit for use, meant that it had a calling, meant that there was a purpose behind it. And if it wasn't clean, then it was meant to be thrown out, not used, or had no purpose within the kingdom of God. That's what's going on here in this passage. So when Jesus says um, to um, Peter, he says, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. This is not a comment on Peter's personal hygiene. What this is a comment on is that if Jesus doesn't wash his feet, that he will not be a part of the sacred mission or purpose or blessing or anointing or belonging of the kingdom. That when Jesus washes the feet, this is really him claiming the disciples. This is really an act of saying that they are fit for service, that they are fit to be a part of the kingdom, that they are fit to follow in his footsteps and in his direction. This is really a moment of anointing, of blessing, of calling, that this has so much less to do with personal hygiene and more about holiness and the actual act of participating in the kingdom of God. That's what's going on here. That Jesus says, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. He says this because he has a purpose for them. He says this because he has a sacred mission for them. He says this because they have a responsibility or even a duty to him. And this is why then we can understand a little bit more about the phrase related to Judas. Um, Jesus says, uh, a person who has bathed all over does not need to wash except for the feet to be entirely clean. Again, we have to think about sacredness and calling and duty and usefulness in the kingdom. And you, dis- uh, and you disciples are clean, but not all of you. For Jesus knew who would betray him and what uh, he meant when he said, not all. And that's what he meant when he said, not all of you are clean. And here, as I said, that last comment is really about Judas. And that's not about Judas being dirty in his cleanliness. That is about Judas being unfit to actually walk in the kingdom of God because he isn't willing to submit to Jesus as king. So when Jesus says that Judas is not unclean, this has nothing to do with whether he has bathed or his personal hygiene. This has everything to do with his fit within the usefulness of the kingdom. And that because Judas has determined to betray Jesus, he isn't clean even though his feet have been washed. So what does this mean for us all today? Because this might be a different lens to be taking a look at it. This might be new for us. Here's what I want us to get. That when Jesus kneels down to show the disciples the full extent of his love, that when he kneels down in absolute humility, taking on the position of a servant or a slave, and he washes the disciples' feet, what he is doing here is really anointing them, is calling them, is saying that they belong to him, is actually initiating them in the purpose and the plans of God. This is about claiming the disciples as having a sacred responsibility to the ongoing mission and work of the kingdom. This is about Jesus really almost authorizing them to go out into the world in his behalf as his representatives. That's what's going on here in this moment moment. This is why Jesus ends with this statement of after washing their feet, he put on his robe again and he sat down and he asked, do you understand what I'm doing? Do you understand that this isn't just about personal hygiene? Do you understand that this is about your usefulness and responsibilities in the kingdom and you call me teacher and Lord and you are right because that's what I am. And since I, your teacher and Lord, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. He's actually calling them to deputize one another really, about reminding them that they are on this mission here together. He says, I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. 
And I tell you the truth, slaves are not greater than their master, nor the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. And now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. And here he's reminding them that they have a purpose, a message to share, an example to follow, and really a mission to join in with. So what does this mean for us all here this morning? Well, here's my main point um, about this passage here today. That what Jesus is doing when he kneels down and he washes the disciples' feet, and what this means for us, is that Jesus is king and he anoints us for his service. I think that's what's going on in this passage. When Jesus kneels down and shows them his humility, but then also really cleanses their feet, really as an act of anointing, of belonging, of claiming, of usefulness in the kingdom. That Jesus is king and anoints us for his service. I think that's what's going on here in this passage. That's what's really being meant, and that's what's happening. So if that's my main point, that Jesus is king, and in this moment what he's doing is anointing the disciples, and he wants to anoint us for service as well, what does this mean for us practically? Well, today I have two things, actually. I have a challenge, and then I also have an invitation. First, the challenge is, is I want to invite you really to receive from Jesus in communion. That what we see here in the disciples is actually they're receiving something for Jesus, that he is claiming them, that he says they belong to him, that he is saying actually that they are a part of what he is doing and that they have a mission to be a part of, right? That they are messengers in his kingdom. So I think there's a moment here of Jesus really claiming the disciples as his. I want to invite you to have that same sort of a moment in and through communion. That what communion is really about is about receiving from Jesus. It's about being joining in in what God is doing in the world. It is about being claimed by him. So I want to invite you and to challenge you really to first submit to Jesus and to receive from Jesus during communion. Because I think that's also what's happening here in this passage. I want to invite you as we take communion to use this as a moment to really submit with him and to also connect deeply with him. Because really, if you think about this moment in this disciple's life, this was really an intimate and a close and a connected moment with Jesus. That's what's going on here. So I want to invite us to have the same thing in and through communion. I want to challenge you to actually connect with Jesus and to have that really close moment with him where he might claim you and where he might actually remind you that you are anointed in a part of his kingdom and his mission. I want to invite you to have that moment in communion. But then secondly, what I want to do, is I actually want to invite you into something. I want to invite you into something that's a little bit different than my weekly challenge. The weekly challenge is to have communion. The invitation, though, the invitation that I have for us today is actually to practice this passage. And what do I mean by that? I mean literally to practice this passage. I can remember the very uh, last time I preached on this passage. Actually, it was quite a while ago. I was a youth pastor. And at that time, we were doing youth in people's homes. So I remember sharing a little bit about this passage. And my main take on the passage was about being a servant leader. It was about being humble. All those things that we often emphasize in this passage because they're there. But then I remember one youth put up their hand kind of at the end. They said, but don't you think we should like, I don't know, do this passage? Don't you think we should practice this? And my first initial reaction to that was like, was no. Because right? I felt it was a little bit weird. I felt it was a little bit uncomfortable. I felt in some ways it was a little bit antiquated to wash somebody else's feet. I didn't really want to do that, which ironically is the exact response of Peter. But then uh, this youth, they actually read the passage, and they actually have become a pastor now, so it's not surprising. But they read the passage, and they said, but since Jesus says, and since I, the Lord and your teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I've given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. They said, since Jesus says that, shouldn't we just do that? And being a pastor and seeing Jesus' absolutely clear words, I couldn't think of a way out of this. So I said, okay, let's, let's do this. Even though for me, it felt a little bit awkward and odd. So we found a, some, a bowl, we found a towel, and I knelt down and we washed the, uh, the youth's feet that were there in the room that day. And I have to tell you, it was honestly a very holy moment. That even as we did that, we were praying blessings over them. We were actually praying goodness over them. We were praying God over them. It was this strangely, really powerful moment. 
And then that same youth turned to me and they said, but don't you think, Andrew, that we should also watch your feet? And again, I had that same reaction to Peter, like, I, uh, I don't know. I was like, I don't really want to do this, right? Because I like my personal space. I struggle sometimes with actually just opening myself up to receive something from someone. And foot washing, it's an odd and it's a different way of behaving. And it's something I hadn't really practiced before. But we actually had that same experience where I then had them actually, they washed my feet and they prayed over me. And I have to tell you that practicing what Jesus said in this moment, it was a really holy time for me. And it actually really prepared me for the ongoing mission that God had for me. And so I want to invite you actually to just practice foot washing this week if you can. Now today, I'm just offering this as an invitation because I know with COVID that this might not be a possibility for every single one of us. I know you might not live with anybody you might be able to practice this with. I know perhaps you might not be living with someone who's a Christian. I know that this honestly just might not be feasible in today's uh, day and age with all kind of that's going on in the world. So with that, that's why I want to offer it to you as an invitation, not as a challenge. I want to invite you to practice the words of Jesus. And with this, there's no guilt. I don't think we need any more guilt within COVID-19. You know, we don't need any more of that or any more judgment or anything like that. But I also don't feel like it's pastorally responsible to not invite you into what Jesus directly says, where he says, do as I have done to you. So I want to invite you to really pray and to think about, can you practice this this week? Can you wash your spouse's feet? Can you wash your kids' feet or your roommates or whatever? And as you're doing that, actually take up the position of Jesus and to do the same things that he does. Bend down, find a towel, find a bowl. It might feel a little bit funny at first, but I do believe that if Jesus says something, that we should do it. So what is my main point today? It's that Jesus here is king, and what he does is he anoints us for his service. That's really what cleansing of the feet is about. It's about calling us to something bigger and greater and about belonging to what he is doing. And then what does this mean for us practically? My challenge is for each and every one of us to then take communion, to have a moment where we connect with Jesus deeper, to have a moment of intimacy with him, just like the disciples did here. And then my invitation is if you're able, why not try practicing foot washing this week? It is a spiritual practice that Christians have actually done for centuries. And I want to invite you into that because as Jesus says, do as I have done. And as we often say here, that if Jesus says it, it's probably something that we should just do. So with that, would you join with me in prayer today? God, I pray. I pray first, might we receive from you. We are so grateful for your humility, for your willingness, Lord, to set aside your divine privileges and power and position and to come to earth and to be here so that we might be saved and rescued. And I pray, God, might we show that same level of humility, that same level of love with one another. And I pray, God, might we always practice this level of humility with each other. I pray, Lord, might we also continue to participate in the ongoing mission that you have for us. Might we join with you in what you are doing. Might we, Lord, uh, be connected with what you're doing in the world. And I pray, Lord, this week, might we continue to just follow you with obedience and faithfulness. And we pray this all in the wonderful name of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. And so today, we want to allow you to continue to have a moment of really that close connectedness with Jesus, just as the disciples did. So we want to invite you to enter into this next song of worship to connect with him, followed by communion together.